0: This morning, we're in our second to last message in the book of John. We're in John chapter 20 this morning, but we're not going to be there very long because we're going to spend most of our time in 1 John chapter 4. We're going to talk about love today, and I feel like perhaps not the best pastoral type person to bring a message of love to you since I often find myself struggling with the act of loving others like I should as a Christian, but. It's an honor to bring such a message to you this morning. But before we get there, as we know, the idea of love in our society is somewhat twisted in today's world. Would you agree with me? But uh, speaking of twisted love, I have to share something with you that I found a bit funny days after it happened. So, Any of you here for my message two weeks ago, Jesus in the Middle? Come on, pretend you remember. Yes, I was here. Yes, thank you, Heather. I appreciate that. So... In my message, Jesus in the Middle, I had this example of a flower that I planted in my garden that during the day it bends over and kind of withers. And in the morning when the sun comes out, it stretches out and the flower sort of blooms and it's just an amazing transference of this flower. And this week I had lunch with a gentleman who's about 20 years older than me, one of our senior citizens here in the church. And And he can't hear very well. So we met at Bob Evans and we had lunch. And uh, it was a very crowded day at Bob Evans. So we walked in and the waiting area is full. So I was standing against the wall. I had arrived first. And the seasoned citizen walks in through the door. I'm standing there. There's a bunch of people sitting in their seats. And he runs over and he gives me this beautiful flower. And he said, I remember what you talked about on Sunday. Now people are seeing this. Man, hand me this beautiful uh, purple flower. And saying, I remember what you talked about on Sunday. And I said, oh, that's lovely. That's a beautiful flower. And uh, the waitress said, boys, your table's ready. And we walked to our table. (laughs) Now think about that. Think about that visual for for a moment. Because he got real close to me because he's hard of hearing and giving me that flower. And that wouldn't bat an eye in today's world because, you know, love has different meanings today, doesn't it? That struck me as humorous. So we're going to pray, church, and then... I want to share with you about God's love this morning, this unfathomable love that we're all supposed to be steeped in as Christians, but it's so hard, and I want to talk about why this morning it's so hard, and I want to talk about how we might be able to improve the love that we show one another. Let's pray, church. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for what has transpired already. I thank you for the worship in song, the worship in prayer, and the worship in repentance. Lord, we thank you and praise you. Be with us as we search your word this morning. Amen. All right, church. So, we're in the 20th chapter of the book of John, and John says here, he tells us the reason that he wrote all of this gospel that came before. And if you will recall, uh, John was a very old man when he wrote the gospel of John. He was an older man when he wrote the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he was an even older man when he wrote the book of Revelation. John lived to be a ripe, ripe old man in his 90s. That was unusual. Most people didn't live past their 40s into their 50s. If you did that during this period of time, you were considered blessed by God. Many young men would die, well, they would, wouldn't be young then, but they would die in the late 30s. So John is writing these books decades after having spent three and a half years with Jesus Christ. He's writing this, these books decades after gaining life experience. And I think there's value in listening to what John has to say because this brother walked with the Lord and then had decades to learn what that all meant and how that all should be infused into his life and how it should be infused into the church John was considered the theologian of his day, believe it or not. It was not Paul who was considered the theologian, it was John. But John is also called the apostle of love, because John in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John talks extensively about love, because apparently from John's point of view, love is paramount in the Christian life. So then, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of of the disciples. Which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So, church, have you been convinced by the Gospel of John that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world? Yes, you have been convinced, I'm sure of it. I'm sure that 99.9% of you in this room believe the message that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and there's no other way to heaven but through his shed blood. So John was very successful, wasn't he? Absolutely. But church, the rest of that is a goal that John had as well, that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now John is certainly talking about salvation, but John is saying After I told you all the things that Jesus has done, my prayer for you is that you believe that he is your Savior, you take hold of that, but also that you might have life in his name. And church, today we're going to learn what John meant by life in his name. What was life in the name of Christ to the disciple named John? Turn with me through to 1 John chapter 4 if you have your Bibles with you. Verse 7, we're going to start in verse 7. Beloved, let's love one another, for love is from God. God is the author of love, John tells us. Love comes from nowhere else but the creator, but the eternal God. That is where love comes from. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Church, you should be challenged by that statement that John makes. You should be extremely challenged by that statement in verse 8. The one who does not love does not know God. Because God is love, that is what God is, that is who God, God is in his essence love. Is God holiness? Yes. But at his core, at his essence, his holiness is born out of his love. His righteousness is born out of his love. All of his characters, his peace, his mercy, his grace are born out of his love because God is in fact love, church, but the one who does not love does not know God. This is why I struggle with my Christian faith, church. It's not what atheists say to me. It's not what I read about the age of the earth or dinosaurs or anything else. I ask myself, John, do you love? Because if you don't love, you don't know God. Do you love, church? If you were to assess yourself this morning, are you lovers of God and lovers of others? I think on the first part, we would all shout, yes, we're lovers of God. Would we struggle with the second part? Are we lovers of others? Because a lot of things get in the way of our love, church. A lot of things get in the way of our love. The struggle to love. Jesus tells us, They will hand you over to tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. He's talking to people who claim to be Christians, church. Listen to the words. And at that time, many will fall away and they will betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise up and mislead many people. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will become cold. But the one who endures to the end is the one who will be saved. Most people's love will grow cold. He's talking to people who claim to follow him, who claim to live in his name. In the Greek it says, the many's love will grow cold. The assembly, the people who gather around me, who claim to be my children, their love will grow cold because in fact, perhaps they don't know me. But why will the love grow cold? Because lawlessness has increased. Lawlessness has increased. And he's talking about the last days. Believe it or not, church, the last days started in Acts chapter 2 and have been continuing for 2,000 years. But we've never been closer to the return of the Lord. So we've never been further along in the last days than anyone else. We are the closest to the return of the Lord that anyone has ever lived. So we should live in a time of expectation, as they did. But I think the point here, church, is that if love was growing cold back then for those who claim to be the Lord's, do you think it's getting worse or better? I think love might be growing colder and colder and colder. And why? Because of lawlessness. This word lawlessness, it's talking about the law of God. Are we under law? No, we're under grace. But when it talks about the law of God, it's talking about the morality. It's also talking about the law of God, have no other, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because of lawlessness, because of the increase of it, most people's love will grow cold. Well, let's be more specific. Why will our love grow cold? Paul tells us in 2 Timothy. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. "...boastful, arrogant, slanderers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness although they have denied its power, avoid such people." So the people that Paul's talking about are holding on to a form of godliness. They are saying, we believe in Jesus Christ... We believe in God. We believe in the Father. We believe what you believe, Paul. But they only have a form of godliness with their mouths. How do we know that? Because they love pleasure more than God. That hits home for me, church. There are many, many times when I love pleasure more than I love God. Is pleasure always wrong? No, church. I'm not going to stand up here and say don't go on vacations, don't take that cruise, don't go to that concert, don't see a show, don't whatever, go to dinner. Pleasure is good, except when we love it more than God. Church, we're in a state where we love pleasure more than God. Turn it around. We don't want to be bothered because that doesn't please us. We don't want to come to the baptism tonight. And if you were going to come tonight or not, I don't, that's not, not. we don't want to do it because we have something to watch. We have a a dinner and and all that's great. But as Christians church, we put things for our pleasure above God. And God said, if you don't love, you are not his. We have to turn that upside down and make ourselves uncomfortable and and sacrifice a little bit because what is at the heart of love, church? Sacrifice. Sacrifice is at the heart of love. So if you're not lovers of God, you're denying the power of God. John goes on to say in 1 John 4, verse 9, by this the love of God was revealed in us that God has sent his only son into the world so that we may live through him. So church, what makes the love that we have different from the love the world has? Church, do you know a mother who is not a Christian who loves her children? I do, I do. What makes that love different than the love that you and I are supposed to have? By this, the love of God was revealed in us. Because church, we have in us a different kind of love, a different kind of motivational force. We have have in us God who plumbed the depths of love deeper than anyone else that we will ever know has in order to make us his child. He gave his son We can't conceive of that. How how do you give something that's an integral part of you as a trinity, as a God? How do you give that? But we just know that the pain was incredible when it was given. The life of his son was given and the wrath of God was poured out on the son. We just know the depth of that love is something that you and I can never plumb but it is that love that has been revealed to us and that is in us from which our love is supposed to flow. The deeper the forgiveness the deeper the well of love that is within us. Do you understand that, church? The deeper the forgiveness, the deeper the sin you've been forgiven of, the deeper the love that can flow from us because we understand what we were and what we are now and how we have been saved. And we should let that dwell in us as it wants to. And we should live through him, through his eyes, through his perspective. And we can only do that if we accept him as our Savior, Colossians 3.1, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Think about things above, church, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You died, and Christ now lives in you. You are resurrected, church, just as much as Jesus Christ is resurrected. Has it been fully realized yet? No, but you are a resurrected creature who can see the, the, the love of God through the lens of Jesus Christ like no unbeliever will ever be able to see it. And you have to strive each day to try to take hold of it and understand the depth of that love. Love. 1 John 4 goes on, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be propitiation for our sins. Just a big word for satisfaction or payment for our sins. But in this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. Church, can you imagine for a moment that God who created the universe, that God who created the trees, the oceans, the mountains, the valleys, who created you, Stooped so low as to say, I will love you. I will love you. I will love that one. Because they have faith in me. Do you you understand the majesty of that? The incredibleness of that? Not that we loved God, but that he said, I will love you. John calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved, doesn't he? Sometimes when we read that, we think, well, John's awfully bold, isn't he? He's a proud little fellow at 90. Well, no, he's not a proud little fellow at 90. But when he wrote that, I mean, he was the youngest disciple. I'm sure he had a father-son relationship with Jesus, and Jesus probably did love the socks off of John, the sandals, excuse me. Let me be historically correct. Um, but I think there's more, more to that. I think there's more reason why... John described himself as a disciple Jesus loved. I think he was blown away by the fact that I was a disciple and Jesus loved me. I think John let that sink in. I was a person that Jesus loved. And there comes something I should do with that. Chad. You are a person that Jesus loved. You are a disciple that Jesus loved. How do, you, do you feel like you can boldly proclaim that and find some satisfaction in that? I think you do, brother. I am a disciple that Jesus loved. Past tense? And continues to love. Continues to love. So much so that he was willing to die for me. Well, John, other people died for other people. Well, this is the Trinity being ripped apart for you and me. This is the eternal God saying, you are not worthy of my love, but I will tear myself apart to put you back together. The love God lavishes on us, church, is an eternal love. that's not comprehensible. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. How did he do this, church? In love. He chose you before the foundations of the earth and said, I'm going to put my love on that one. I'm going to put my love on that one. Because they humbly came to me and repented. Much like we saw today on this very stage. Those who come and repent... Do you think God just found that out when you repented? No, I don't think so. I think God eternally knew who were His. And I think from time immemorial He put His love on you. And there's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do about it but be loved. How about that? That makes me a little happy. How do I learn to love, church? Well, first of all, I just listen to my wife. She tells me. No, I can't, I can't not mention my wife. That's... Uh, That's sort of par for the course. 1 John 4, 11, one's cut off there. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us. Listen to this, church. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us, and his love is perfected in us. His love can only be made perfect and complete if we love one another. Catch that, church. By this we know that we remain in him and he in us because he has given to us of his spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world and he has given to us of his spirit. I love the fact that Pastor John mentioned last week Mary Magdalene when she saw Jesus Christ after the crucifixion and his resurrection. As she was leaving the empty tomb, this man started to have a discussion with her. And the Bible tells us in the other Gospels that Jesus did not reveal himself right away. So she did not understand at first who she was speaking to. But as soon as he removed the blindness from her her eyes, Mary Magdalene did what, church? She grabbed him. And I love pictures in my mind when I read the scripture. Imagine imagine grabbing the Christ. You saw him in his bloody condition. You saw him on the cross. You saw him beaten and bruised. The last time you saw his robe, it was being fought over. His undergarments were being fought over. And lots were being cast for them by some Roman soldiers. And they were bloody. And they were horrible looking. And his body was bruised, disfigured beyond recognition, Isaiah tells us. But now you see the Christ, and he's revealed to you, and he's in this perfect white garment. And she hugs him, and she breathes the freshness of the garment, the righteousness, the air that surrounds the risen Christ. And she says, oh, don't ever leave us. Don't ever leave us again. He says, I have to go, Mary. Let go of me. I have to go but I have to go so that I can send you my spirit and not live among you, but I will live in you and I will reveal myself to you inside and you will see the world how I see the world. He gives us his spirit, church. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, and indeed there is, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. What is the one purpose we should be intent on, church, as a church? Loving one another. And in the last day's church, we're doing a very poor job of that. Loneliness outside of the church is an epidemic. Loneliness inside the church is an epidemic. No difference inside or outside. But why? But why? Because we're not taking hold of the love of God. We're not letting the Spirit dwell in us. We're not letting the Spirit live through us. We're not putting on the eyes of Jesus Christ. And we're seeking pleasure. And we're seeking selfish desires. And we're just being filled with empty conceit. It's hard to love people. Galatians 5. Now those who belong to Christ. Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let's follow the Spirit as well. Crucify your passions and desires, church. It's not something you did when you were saved and stopped doing. You did it when you were saved, but we take up our cross how often, church? Every day we crucify our passions, the desires of the flesh to the cross, so that the Spirit may work through us, so that Jesus living in us may pour himself out through us and we can tamp down the pleasures that we want to enjoy too much, And love, pleasure, not bad. Too much pleasure, neglecting love, bad. How do I stay in this love? Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God remains in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed. We not only know, but we believe the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. If we want to be in good standing with our Father, we can never lose our salvation. If we want to remain in good fellowship, good relationship with our Father, with Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, we have to remain in love. Jonathan Edwards said there's a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and having a sense of its sweetness. We can all look at a jar of honey, in other words, and say, that's a sweet substance but there's nothing like dipping your finger in that jar of honey when your wife's not looking and putting it in your mouth and saying, that is a sweet substance. we got to stop looking at the command to love. we got to take the jar off the shelf. we got to stick our finger in the jar, and we got to say, I'm going to start loving. I'm going to make it the essence of who I am. We have been snared in coils of spurious logic which insists that if we have found him, we need no more seek him. In the midst of this great chill, there are some who will not be content with shallow logic. They want to taste, to touch with their hearts the wonder that is God. I want deliberately to encourage this mighty longing after God. One of the greatest theologians, A.W. Tozer, says that. And Paul, probably a greater theologian than A.W. Tozer, This is actually, at the end, verse five, a prayer that the early church would pray. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will do what we command. This is the prayer. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the perseverance of Christ. Church, if you want to learn to love, you have to direct your hearts on a daily basis toward Christ. You have to dwell upon him. The psalmist says, one thing I ask of the Lord, That is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That's the only way we learn to love church, to gaze upon the sacrifice of the Lord, the love of the Lord, our relationship with the Lord. Just go into the temple. You know, the temple is not only your body, church, the temple is the church. Go into the temple and gaze upon the Lord. Love knows no fear, church. By this, John continues, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, we also are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love little grammar thing here and I've told you many times I get caught up on the phrases that make me go hmm and here's one of them because as he Jesus is we also are in this world huh how is Jesus today church where is Jesus today what condition is Jesus in today is he hanging from a tree bleeding no Jesus was resurrected. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's clothed in white robes. He's pure. He's resurrected. He has life. He has all the power that he had before he came to this earth. He knows everything. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's glorified with his Father. Because as he is, we also are in this world. You and I are glorified with the Father. You and I at his right hand. It just hasn't happened completely yet. But that is how we are to walk. How does a son or daughter of God walk in fear? You don't. You are a resurrected son or daughter of the king. You are clothed in white. You are in his righteousness. His shed blood has washed you clean. And just as he is resurrected, restored, so are you as you walk today. And that's how we carry ourselves as Christians, church, as those who are capable of love and not afraid of love because, church, for some reason, we are afraid to love. We're afraid to reach out. We're afraid to say, do you have time to have lunch with me? Do you have a need that I can help deal with? We had a young lady, Athena, come up this morning. Church, we need to reach out to people. We need to not be afraid. Oh, What if they don't answer the phone? What if they're offended by something? I, Church. I'm a man. I offend people every day by stupid things I say. I mean, they changed the definition of woman, but the definition of man is still the same, one who puts foot in mouth. Go ahead, look in the dictionary. That's what's in there, all right? I do it all the time. Don't be afraid to reach out to the body of Christ. Don't be afraid to extend a hand. Don't think you're not good enough because you're a son or daughter of God. You're good enough. Don't be afraid to do what God wants you to do. Why, church? Why no fear? There is, no, there is therefore now no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You have nothing to fear by extending yourself. You have nothing to fear by being a bit vulnerable to the people around you, church. We are conquerors. Church, will end with this. 1 John chapter 4. We love because he first loved us. Amen? If someone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother and sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Look around you, church. These people who are mostly probably strangers to you are your brothers and sisters. As the days grow colder and we become further and further pulled from each other, as we sit at dinner tables text- texting strangers that we don't even care about and we're sitting across the table from each other and not even able to have conversations anymore because we don't pick up the phone anymore because uh, it says Spam. I-, I asked my wife if I could change my name to John Spam. She said no because maybe somebody would pick up the phone if they thought John Spam was calling <laughs> We hide from relationship. We hide from fellowship. We hide from expressing love because, what, will it bring us shame? No. Expressing love to your brothers and sisters and not just your family. Don't cop out. I do to my children. I do to my wife. This is talking about the church. Natalie, where are you? Natalie Lytle. Are you here? She left. Thanks, Natalie. I appreciate that. I thought she was going to play us out and I was going to wrap up with a beautiful piano background, but I won't. (laughs) I won't do that. I give you a challenge, church. Look, we talked about love. I'm not an expert on love, but I know I need more of it. I know I need to do it more. I know I need to learn more. I honestly, church, I wake up every day and say, let me love better. I really do. I do. I have to dwell on that because I know if I don't, I will be the most selfish husband, the most selfish father, the most selfish employee, the most selfish church person here. You need to do the same. Go into the temple, gaze upon the Lord, gaze upon the depth of his love for you and let that flow out. So your charge today, church, is to get out of your comfort zone. Put aside one pleasure and reach out to somebody, anybody, somebody you don't know and say, hey, how are you doing? I love you. I know you're not gonna say that. Express the love through reaching out. Man, if we overwhelmed Athena with texts saying, we love you, wow. You know how she's probably feeling right now? Will they judge me? Will they look at me as less than them? That was boldness. Let's reward that boldness with Christian love. Let's do it, church. Let's pray.